Hey, it's Joe Pantoliano, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Quick Impressions is a full-service commercial printer with pricing that competes with online wholesalers. The difference is their customer service. From business cards, envelopes, brochures, to mailers, presentation folders, DVD and CD packaging, cartons, signs, to calendars, and I've used them for just about all of those things myself, including the galleys and bookmarks and signature plates for my own book, and custom-designed tissue boxes and notepads and labels for women who write. They've done it all. Um, and I ain't easy to please, as you well know, DJ. And they always blow me away. The quality of their work is stellar, and they're the nicest people ever. That's Quick Impressions. Hold the C. Quick. Q-U-I-K. Ask for Rick, but that does have a C. And then tell them that Vicky said you, which also has a C. And they will love you up. You can find them at quickimpressions.com for all your printing needs. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Vicki. So I had, you know, a whole agenda planned for us to little chat about today, and, and, and we'll get to it in a bit. But um, I found out on just when I was getting ready to come over here that um, my father-in-law passed away today. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Thank you. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what circumstance life affords. Uh, some relationships um, supersede um, re the, the le legal reality. Her definition. Yeah, so... Um, so I've been divorced for a few years, um, but I met Raziel in 1989, so um, he's been in my life for a lo long time. And he's the grandfather of your children. And he is the grandfather of my children, which is the most significant thing. See, now I'm going to start to cry. I have mm. my daughter with me in the other room. Samantha's with me because I'm going to take her over to her dad's to spend the night tonight. and so they can uh, comfort each other. But um, yes, my father-in-law's name was Raziel Alter, um, Raziel Alter Abelson. So as if his mother didn't have as, uh, enough fun with the Raziel part. Who ever heard of a Raziel? I've never heard of a Raziel, although I think, I believe it's a biblical name. Um, and interestingly, um, Raziel was a total atheist who did not believe <laughs> in, in religion or God at all. Um, he was a philosophy professor for many years at NYU. Um, Samantha, uh, his son's alma mater, uh, three of his four children, uh, three, wait, two of his three children went there and one of his grand and his grandchild now. Um, none of them got in with his help. As a matter of fact, we were told to not tell them that 
Raziel was Samantha's grandfather because he was such a radical. He was he was a true anarchist, um, and uh, really he was he lived to nine to be ninety five. And you know, is it a shock? No, he hasn't been well um, for a couple years, and 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 certainly the last few months have really been not good. But it's never a good time to go. It just isn't. They're, they're, going is not good. Lose, saying goodbye to someone and losing them is not good. And he was a really um, extraordinary man. Um, he uh, maybe, for someone who didn't believe in anything, he probably had the highest moral and ethical code in certain respects of anyone I've ever met. Um he met Gabe's mother, whose name was Ulrika. So if Raziel wasn't enough, we have Raziel and Ulrika. Ooh, I want to see the napkins from that <laughs> wedding. <laughs> yeah. So he met her. Uh, uh, he was a merchant marine uh, in World War II, and he was a radio operator. And um, uh, Ulrika was coming back on a ship from Germany. She was German and she survived. That's a whole nother crazy story, but she survived Nazi Germany in Berlin as the head nurse at the Jewish hospital. But she looked Aryan, but, um, and so she, she had the Jewish star, but she would take it on and off. And so she could move through Berlin, um, and pass as Aryan, um, and do that. But, you know, she was the head nurse of the Jewish hospital. And, and interestingly, she made it all the way through the war and, uh, survived that in spite of all of her family being killed, except her sister who got here first. Um, and then at the end of the war, an American soldier put kerosene on the floor to wash the floors. And he, it was set afire and she was covered in like burns from like horrible, horrible burns. So she was wrapped and put on a ship to come to America to meet her sister. And Raziel met her then. And he took care of that wounded bird and cared for her. And he ended up taking care of her for the next 70 years. So even after they um, divorced, which was when Gabe was young, um, he continued to take care of her and spend, they had the most unusual relationship of any family I've ever heard. After he divorced Ulrika and married one of his students, another philosopher, another philosophy professor who became a philosophy professor, he continued to have Ulrika be part of his life. And she ended up caring for his children with Marie and traveling with them and spending holidays with them. And he came and visited her and did her grocery shopping. And he just, uh, he took care of his siblings. Um, his One of his brothers, Lionel Abel, was a very, very famous playwright and intellectual. Um, anyway, just a really, um, and, and, he was a very loving and sweet man in spite of the fact he was, you know, he was a crazy intellectual. I mean, brilliant man, absolutely brilliant. And, 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 you know, had very strong, passionate views about things and would love to debate and, and loudly. But, um, in underneath all of that was a really soft and loving and gentle and, uh, warm and lovely man. And so, um, I bid adieu to Raziel tonight, um, sadly, and um, with great 
reverence and love. And I want to change the topic, because, the subject, because uh, we have a show to do, and, and um, that's what we do. We, 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 we move on because life goes on, and it's not that we leave people behind, but we just uh, carry on because we carry, and I will carry him in my heart tonight. Um, what I wa- was going to talk to you about, uh, Louise, was about trusting our gut. And when you, are you in touch with your with your intuition? And I don't want to say feminine intuition. I was talking to someone last night and he was saying something about feminine intuition and something men don't have. I know nothing about that, but I know I have intuition and I know when I don't listen to it, I usually regret it and it's almost always correct. How about you? Are you in touch with that? I would say my intuition, I, I would identify it more as, as just being observant and watching for signs that mm. something or someone isn't right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I will get some sort of sense of intuition while driving that just maybe the traffic is just giving me a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and it, but it, that could also be me sensing that people are behaving a little bit recklessly, which because so what do you do when you have that? Um, I slow down and mm-hmm. I and I pay really close attention because mm-hmm. I think things like a bad feeling are sort mm-hmm. of contagious, and mm-hmm. we can we can all sort of traffic is just an extreme example of that because mm-hmm. everyone's traveling at great rates of speed. So right. if, if people sort of sense like this person's pissing me off, and then mm-hmm. then traffic is just a good example of how it spreads mm-hmm. and how very quickly people are behaving horribly mm-hmm. and a, a really a really uh, nasty thing can can ensue but in terms of like noticing people and the way they the way that they behave if something or someone is just giving me a bad feeling Mm -hmm. it's not intuition as much as it's based on oh I'm getting a red flag with that person whereas I used to say well you know he's not that good at this or he's kind of a jerk but he's really good at Mm -hmm. I've learned from experience that once you start making excuses for someone mm-hmm. before you get involved with them, mm-hmm. whether it's dating or mm-hmm. working or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you should you should just really start trusting that early on. I, I agree with that. Um, I was working with my writing partner, who's a male, yesterday, and he was saying something about red flags. And I, and yes, red flags are definitely a, 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 an absolute warning when, when someone is not behaving well. But sometimes for me, an intuition is before a bad behavior. It's just a, it's, it's a sense that I might have sometime that with no indication of anything external, I will get a feeling that something is not right and that someone is not being honest with, with absolutely no evidence the initial thing can just be an intuition, a feeling that something isn't right. And maybe there are external signals. Maybe it's they don't make eye contact. Maybe it's they blink too much. Maybe they look away. I mean, yeah, so maybe there are more uh, um, substantial evidential pieces that I'm not really in tune with. But for me, I just know I literally feel it in my gut often when something is not right. And when I heed that, now sometimes, you know, I can contempt prior to investigation. So I'll be sure I know what it is. And I can be way off on the reason that somebody is lying or, or behaving weirdly. And I can create a whole scenario in my head that isn't, couldn't be complete fantasy. Um, 
because the only thing I know is it feels like something and I know that I should investigate and without contempt until I know. Um, but oftentimes, sometimes I don't listen to the gut and I make excuses for the person and I keep giving them more opportunities and I continue to go on feeling uncomfortable longer than I should. And, um, and sometimes... What I attribute to my gut says something is really fear talking. And it's my brain's way of shutting me down so I cannot move forward with something because I'm actually afraid of it. So in my latest session with Jeremy Stevens, my wonderful life coach, I'm no longer rolling my eyes. I'm just laughing as I say it. JSLC. <laughs> That's the guy. Um, in my latest session with Jeremy, my takeaway was I choose to choose to be fearless. Because for me, making change, changing, I, I'm, I, I, change is really tough for me. I'm, I'm middle-aged, and actually, technically, I'm old, um, literally old, because I think middle-aged now is considered to be something like 30 to 50 or something. I don't know. Some... I really, really don't like using the word old. No, well, I laugh. Before people reach the age of 80. Yeah. Well, I... Because you could, you could spend half your life being old. Yeah. If you start calling yourself yes, old. Yes, you can. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I will ever really consider myself old because I just don't feel like that person. I don't feel middle-aged. I laugh when I say that. I still, in my mind's eye, I'm still that 30-year-old girl still sitting there. But in fact, I'm so much younger than I was older than that now. Whatever that is, it's the opposite of the truth. I, I, yes, I, I, I felt older when I was young than I'm I do now. I'm younger than that now. Yeah, I'm younger than that now. Exactly, I'm younger than that now. So, so anyway, so I've decided that there are times when I use my gut feeling as an excuse to not do something that I'm afraid to do, and that I can that I can use that as an excuse. And the nice thing about having a life coach is that I don't get away with that bullshit anymore. I get called out on my on my crap, and I have to really look at it. But I feel like you. I, I feel a, there's a little contradiction in in the messaging here because mm. sometimes we do have to use our intuition. And yes. if you wanted to find that as fear to stay away from toxic people. So being fearless doesn't mean walking into situations that you know are going to be bad. Different than what I'm saying. I agree with that completely. Okay. What I'm saying is when I have an opportunity to grow and to do something different and to do to make a change in my life and I don't do it or I lean to not do it because I'm afraid. So for an example, we're going to take this show and we're going to put it on Zina TV. And it's going to be a video podcast rather than um, strictly an audio podcast. And so I have, a, I have some trepidation around that because it puts a lot of pressure to have guests not only um, weekly, which is an ongoing pressure for anyone who does a celebrity-based podcast, but also to put them in the studio. And at an exact time, it's because we're going live. So it's not even where here we could alter a show here and there and, 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 and switch days or time. There, it's, you know, we're going to be Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time every week. So 
the station the station owner, uh, Mike Zinn, is really cool about it. He's like, well, if you don't get a guest that week, you don't have a show. Well, I don't feel that way about it. I feel once we start, we go. No matter where we're going. So... Um, that's a lot of pressure and it's, I've lost some sleep over it and I'm like, okay, is that my gut? And so I've been coming up with all these reasons why it's really not a good thing to do. And Jeremy helped me to realize that it was really my fear talking and that if I, uh, as with everything, if I jump into this and make a decision that I'm going to succeed and what is the worst thing that happens? Failure. What is failure? So so if there's a week that there's no, you know, so, you know, there, there are ways around everything, even if it were to be something that we find we don't enjoy and we preferred this, we could come back and go th- and do it again. So is that a, a, a failure? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think trying something new is never failure. I think there's always a lesson learned. So that's always a step forward. But I'm just trying to be in touch with what is my gut and what is my fear? Mm-hmm. And if if I suspect that fear is involved in any way, shape, or form, I am choosing to choose to be fearless. And it's really uncomfortable. I reached out and I sent an email that I was really uncomfortable asking some for somebody's help with something. And, and you know, be fearing rejection, business si- situation. And, um, and it ended up, I got a really nice response and I, I don't know where it's going to go or anything, but I pushed past the fear. Had Jeremy not pushed me, I wouldn't have done it yet. I would Well, I think that's courage. I think you're going to feel fear and you can't really, ah, you can't really control your feelings. It's what you do in the face of fear that matters. Hello. That is exactly my definition of bravery is not not feeling fear, not an absence of fear, because I think firemen, policemen, everybody feels fear. The murderer, everybody feels fear. The difference is if we can push past, the brave person pushes past it, and the fearful person doesn't, lives within it. So the person who chooses fear rather than fearlessness. Mm, okay, got so, it. So I am choosing to choose to be fearless, even when it feels really uncomfortable. That doesn't mean I'm choosing to be stupid. It doesn't mean that I'm choosing to take crazy risks or trust people that are untrust, that have proven to be untrustworthy. It doesn't mean any of that. Although I am making some interesting choices. So I I can't even believe that I'm going to own this, but I'm going to do it because my friend, our friend Susie Porter uh, sent me a lovely email today and she was saying how much she's enjoying the show. And she loves when I talk about the lessons that I'm learning with with Jeremy and also she loves when I talk about my my romantic life and so <laughs> so I have this interesting situation going on right now because um, I went out with a lovely um, age-appropriate shockingly um, democratic forward thinker very uh, very up on the news very very really good mind very creative very talented struggling tremendously um in 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 you know practical matters um but had a lovely time lovely i have also been approached by someone who impressed me more than any man has with his writing that i can remember i just was have been absolutely blown away by his articulation his creativity his humor his intelligence his wit his cleverness um I felt like I was really um, 
matching wits with someone who I, I was reaching up and that's really nice because that doesn't oft happen on dating sites mm-hmm. um usually um, almost immediately it's the wrong you're the wrong there oh. <laughs> you know almost immediately you that know is a tell when you're communicating right? via typing yes. right and, and like i'll give a person three or four of those because you know even you know when we're typing and sometimes you know spell check miss does it or whatever so i'll give a person a lot of bread but when it's you know when it's really just that they don't know but anyway this has been a very clever and I discovered that he was actually quicker than me usually uh, you know I know how to reverse image search and like find out who somebody really is I can do that shit really fast um and I do it really quickly I can find out they, they just give you the first name but I can usually find out you know kind of everything about them in about 10 minutes and he had already done it on me before I had even thought to do it about wow. him, which really impressed me. And uh, were you who you think you are? I, 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 I guess I was. <laughs> <laughs> was I who he thought I was? <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, um, but so he started telling me things about myself way more than the than the site allowed for. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is like good. You know, he, it took him like two seconds to like find me and know all this shit about me. I was very impressed. Everything about this guy was really impressive. And so then I go- reverse Google searched him and got to his Facebook page and what did I find Louise what <sighs> he's on the other side Louise the he's other side. on the other he's a Republican oh d- he's not a Republican he claims to be an independent but so does my mother um but um yeah he's well, okay so there's Republicans and then there's people who voted for Trump he did Oh, that hurts me. And so this is this Ouch. is really real. So, and so here I am. So then he then he I said, look, I can't do this. I, I, I how could you be you? You're wonderful, but I I can I can't possibly do. You don't know who you're. I can't do this. And so I start to explain, you know, why I can't do this. And and it turns out, you know, he went to the the inauguration as part of the Creative Coalition. Ouch. And he and he does all of this. Fem- he he's like of service to humanity in all these incredible ways and I said I am a pussy hat toting feminist and he said I'm a fem he said speaking of himself I'm a feminist I have two sisters and I have four sisters and two daughters and and um so he's forward thinking about so many things and so I really had to make a choice in that moment because normally I would just say, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't talk to you. And I thought, wow, that's really close-minded. On the other hand, I can't take him anywhere. I can't introduce him to anyone. I can't have anybody know his name. I, you know, I, was, I like had all this shame around it. And I thought, but he's such a, like a, but then I thought, well, well, maybe I can like change his mind. <laughs> maybe I can convince him of all the reasons why this is not a valid decision and choice. But that's not my Anyway, so it just seems ironic that um, that this were to happen at this particular. So I. So anyway, I. I. I I'm feeling really guilty and feeling shame that I'm. I'm having conversations, but he's really very lovely. No, 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 no. No, don't feel any guilt or shame. I cannot tell you how many how many people that I love and respect who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Yeah. But it's not going to change my love for them. I mean, my, you know, my mother and my stepfather, who Norman, who just passed, um, voted for Trump. And we just never talk politics. You know, we, we just stopped talking politics. And actually, one of my oldest friends, the godmother of my son, uh, is a hardcore Trumper. And we we haven't really talked since the election. I still love her, but, um, you know, I struggle with it. But anyway, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't... I, 
I'm I'm I I this is never before with any election has this been as um divisive. Yes. I I wish we could just boil it down to one question where you could look the person in the eyes yeah. and say, "Have you noticed that he's inept and a con artist?" Because if they would just accept that, mm -hmm. that he doesn't know what he's doing mm -hmm. and that he's in this for himself and that everything coming out of his mouth is something that serves him in that moment. Mm -hmm. If they would accept and agree with that, I, I would say then let's talk about your conservative values and let's agree to disagree about that. But couldn't we just... I mean, yeah. I, I, I also have to know how he feels about the um, ACA. I You know, I'm sorry, but anybody that's against the Affordable Care Act, I'm going to have a fucking problem with. And I am not going to be able to wrap my head. Anybody that's going to be against climate can, you know, all There's of this. so many issues. All of these mm. issues that are that are just important to me. I, I can't see, you know, and, and I know, what's that, Mary Matlin and uh, James, James Car Carvel. Carvel, you know, I, I don't know how they do what they do. I don't know how they do it. I really don't know how they do it. Um, but anyway, I, I find this all fascinating. So. I, I, I don't have to make any decision today other than I'm actually going to meet him because I, I, I am intrigued and, and he is lovely and, and he's a human being. And, and, you know, if it turns out that, you know, he's for all these things that I am appalled by, then I'll I think that you should meet him and find out what your common ground is. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of California conservatives that we do have a lot of common ground with. Mm -hmm. I don't know why someone would go ahead and vote for Trump. Mm hmm. I would rather if they were someone like I Evan McMullen, who is appalled, or, or mm -hmm. Bill, uh, Bill Crystal, or George Will, mm -hmm. or some of these conservatives that are really taking a stand. I would love to... You should meet him and hear uh, more of his thoughts. Absolutely. And I, I actually get the feeling, I don't know enough yet, but I get the feeling he really didn't vote as much for Trump as he did vote against Hillary. I understand. Um, so I want to hear about that too. Yeah. So um, anyway, so so let's talk about tonight's guest because we're going to go into to joyfulness. Um, I know you were there, Louise, when Joe Pantoliano uh, came and did The Living Room uh, with his book and did Women Who Write. I first um, I first became aware of Joey when I saw The Idol Maker. Did you see The Idol Maker? I Wade? did. That was one of my favorite mo That movie affected me really deeply, and I actually went to, I think that was the first talk back I ever went to. I was very young, and my mother was taking a film class, uh, an adult education film class, um, with a very famous guy, Richard Brown, gave this great class in New York. And um, this, the cast from The Idolmaker came, and I went. I believe it was my very first one, and it, I was so impressed with all of them and with the movie. And we watched the movie, and then we heard about it. And that movie really profoundly affected me um, because I kind of feel like I've been on both sides of that. Like I am sort of the idol maker because I, I promote other people's talents, but I've always also been a performer. And so there's that element too and wanting to be the one that somebody else would idol make to, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I first became aware of Joey in that and then risky business. I mean, come on, Guido the killer pimp. I I'm sorry, but what that is in that character is an in is indelibly etched in my mind and will forever be. And I kind of found um Joey to be a scary guy, especially when I started watching The Sopranos. <laughs> oh my god. Um, you know, yeah, he was a pretty a pretty scary guy on that. And um 
um, what was his character's name on The Sopranos? Wait a minute, I have to, I have to remember. Oh my God, um, I don't know. He'll um, know. He'll, he'll know. <laughs> Wait, I, I have it here somewhere, and I, I'm not looking at my notes, so I'm, I'm, I'm not following where I am. But somewhere I'll, I'll come upon it. But so he co-starred with our friend Michael Imperioli, mm -hmm. and for years on The Sopranos, love the Michael. Yeah, I say co-starred. I, I, I had uh, 30 seconds of airtime just alone, me and Michael in a room. It actually made it to the final cut, which was great. We were actually in there. We, we, we shot for a lot longer than that but about 30 seconds made it in the film but anyway um when i was talking with joey to, uh, about prepping him for coming to women who write because he lives back east and he was coming to la and with his second book and um he asked me like how many women were going to be there and he was asking me a lot of questions he was like and when he heard there were going to be 60 women in the living room he said make sure that air conditioner works and i thought shit what if my air conditioning isn't good i might get whacked because my house is too warm <laughs> i was like terrified <laughs> and then he came and he was so adorable and like he he needed a moment of um, repose before we started and he went upstairs and he like lay down on my bed which Whoa. was just just really too adorable you for words. You guys are married in several states. We we are. <laughs> we we kind of are. Um but he's you know unlike the characters that he plays he is so lovely. When I reached out to him to ask him if he would do this, I hadn't been in touch with Joey. I mean we stayed in touch after he did Women Who Write. It was 2012 when he did it, so we're talking 5 years ago. And we stayed in touch for a little while, but I certainly haven't been in touch with him in a at least a few years and I wrote him a note and he immediately said call me and I called him and he picked up the phone as if we were best friends and we had spoken yesterday Aww. so warm like like just totally you know I, I didn't even know if he'd remember who I was couldn't have been warmer couldn't have been lovelier so let's talk about some of Joey's credits you know the, the before mentioned risky business he was in the Goonies La Bamba Midnight Run oh my god Bad Boys 1 and 2 Empire of the Sun The Fugitive The Matrix Memento oh he was amazing in Memento, Daredevil, and you know, and of course, yes, he was Ralphie in The Sopranos. That's what his character's name was, Ralphie, um, for which he won a Best Supporting Actor Emmy. So deserved. During the same period, Joey wrote the New York Times bestseller, Who's Sorry Now? The True Story of a Stand-Up Guy, which was a bittersweet memoir about growing up as an Italian-American in an Italian-American family in New Jersey. Joey's more recent work includes a starring role in Falling Up. He also produced and starred in the CBS drama pilot Waterfront and was the writer-director of Joe Greco's thought-provoking feature Canvas opposite Marsha Gay Harden, which won the Best Feature Film and landed him the Outstanding Actor Award at the Sedona Film Festival. Inspired by his role in Canvas, Joey started his own nonprofit organization, No Kidding, Me Too, which is dedicated to removing the stigma associated with mental illness. And he spoke at great length about that with us. Joey's second book, Asylum, Hollywood Tales from My Great Depression, Brain Disease, Recovery, and Being My Mother's Son, is a fearless, thoughtful account of and details his personal struggles. And what a service that is to others. Because it's one thing for, for, for there to be a discussion about mental illness, but when a celebrity steps up, how many celebrities step up? They'll own to cancer, they'll own to MS. How many celebrities stand up and own mental illness? Not, not many at all. That's a very rare thing, and I think it really um, is just a tremendous service to people who suffer. And now we're about to say hello to him. So, Wheezy, help me welcome Joey Pantoliano. Hey, Joey. <laughs> hello, Vicky. Hey, Joey, this is Louise. 
Hi, Joe. Louise Palanker. And Louise was there that day when you were in my living room. We were just talking about it, how you went up to my room. Do you remember you took a little nap on my bed when you came to see us? (laughs) (laughs) I I think I came in from somewhere, right? You did. You were talking. Yeah. You were a little jet lagged. And I was saying how I was a little afraid to meet you before I met you because you play like kind of scary characters or you have played many. Um, but that you, you know, you're, you're so against type. Uh, I was also telling Louise and, and, and the listeners out there that when I reached out to you last week about doing the show, you know, you said, call me and I, I picked up and I had like no idea if you even remembered who I was and you just could not have been lovelier. You were, you are so not like the characters you play. Um, how do you, how do, all right, before we get into, like, the characters that you play, I, I want to talk about, you know, how this all started for you. And we, I also did talk briefly about, about your book and how you came out about your mental illness and depression, and we're going to get to all of that also. But, but going back to being a kid in New Jersey, so and were, were you Joey? Were you, where did Joey Pants come from? Uh, I think, it, well, it was a nickname... Uh, as a result of Pantaleano, you know, mm. uh, well, uh, growing up, my parents were first generation. So mm. as, as a kid, there were a lot of, uh, uh, you know, first generation Italians. Everybody spoke Italian. Mm-hmm. It was a very diverse, uh, uh, you know, working class neighborhood. And so the, uh, the old timers uh, would call me Pantalone, meaning pants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then so the, Kids uh, would call me Pants as a nickname. Was that like your gangster name? Because it's like you know, because it, it sounds kind of like a like a gangster name. No, that would be Joey the Pants. Joey the Pants, right? <laughs> so, what part of uh, New Jersey did you grow up in, Joey? Oh, I, I grew up in, in Hoboken, New mm-hmm. Jersey, which is uh, the first borough of Manhattan. Yeah, the, the home of Frank Sinatra, right? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people came from there. A lot of people did. So now, okay, so now you're a little kid, and and, and what do you, what did your dad do? What 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 was your family heritage there? My father uh, worked at Standard. You know, was a. I was born in '51, mm-hmm. and so it was a working class uh, uh, waterfront community. So uh, shipyards and factories. And he worked at Standard Brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the early 60s, he had a heart attack and it couldn't work any longer. So uh, he was on disability and we uh, we went on welfare and, and wound up moving to the project. And my dad, when he, when he could get better, started working at the funeral parlor, uh, Fiala's funeral parlor in Hoboken, mm-hmm. which was where all the, the Italians went. There were like, you know, there were four or five funeral parlors catering to certain eth- ethnic groups. Right. And and uh, and I loved I loved that funeral parlor. In fact, my apartment in Hoboken, I still have an apartment there, is across the street from where all of my relatives, uh, <laughs> including my mother, were were laid out. Wow. wow! And what made you choose an apartment across from the from the funeral home, cemetery, or whatever? Both. No, it's, you know, Hoboken's a 
It's a little little town. Uh, yeah. The rent was good. That's why yeah. I chose it. <laughs> did you go, do 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 you go pay your respects because you're right there? Oh yeah, I go there. I I met, they let me they let me park my car there. <laughs> you know, to, oh yeah, yeah. In Hoboken, I, I'm monks. You know, I'm, I'm Monk Pantleano's son. I'm not the actor. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's very that's very humbling and cool. But you're a very humble guy. Okay, so so Joey, so so you you went through those were obviously very those had to be very traumatic times when your father wasn't able to work and you went on welfare and and moving to the projects and and so you're like under ten years old when all this is going on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I don't I don't know what trauma is. You don't know what trauma is. Mm. So you know, you you, you, you know that kind of is born later in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just think it's normal. That, yeah, that makes sense. Did you have siblings? I have a sister. Her sister is six years younger than I. I had a lot of cousins. My my father had uh, you know thirteen brothers and sisters. Wow. So there was a lot of cousins, and right. we all, it was it was just one big happy crazy family. Mm-hmm. Was was your mother a great cook? Did your mother spend time in the kitchen? Is she one of those great Italian cooks? Well, you know, when you're broke, it's all it's not it's not cooking by choice, it's cooking by necessity. Right. Uh uh you know, and and Fridays when I was a kid you couldn't eat meat. Mm-hmm. So it was like pasta azul or uh all and beans mm-hmm. and all of the great ethnic dishes that I can't stand. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't like. I don't like. You know, I actually made tonight. I made uh, sausage, uh, sausage and peppers uh, for my 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 daughter. Oh, you're you're making me drool. I I learned how to make sauce from my Italian boyfriend's mother, and um, she taught me how to make it. You know, there's there's no recipe. I just watched her, and you kind of learn, and you just kind of do it. You throw things in the pot, and it's always yeah. the best. Yeah. Oh, yum. Yeah. Uh, there's never. Uh, I don't recall ever writing any of this stuff down. Exactly. So done with feel. Absolutely. And and uh, and so, are you a good cook? I, I I'm not a great cook. Um, I don't. Um, but I uh, there's like seven or eight things that I cook well. <laughs> All right, that's that's a pretty good repertoire. And, and now, am I wrong, or did I read today that you have? Do you have six kids? No, I have uh, somehow IMDb. You know, yeah. on the internet, they've, they've given me more kids that I <laughs> that I'm entitled to. You have four. I, I Do you have, have four? I have four kids. Okay. I have four kids. Yeah. I have Marco, for the record. Yes. My son, Marco, mm-hmm. my daughter, Melody, mm-hmm. my daughter, Daniela, and my daughter, Isabella. And who are you cooking for tonight? Isabella, the okay. youngest. How old we're is out, she? We're out, we're out on the North Fork. We have a house out here in, in Greenport. Nice. And Izzy's, Izzy's working uh, this summer here. Oh, nice. How old is, is Isabella? She's going to be 19. She's the youngest. Uh, my, my 19-year-old daughter is here with me tonight in the studio. She's in the other room. But, uh, yeah, sweet. Um, so, Joey, so tell me about you when you're little. So at what point do you realize, what, what did you want to be? When, the, the earliest memory you have of what you wanted to be when you grew up, what was it? What was that? I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to do that. I, I, I was. Uh, I guess I came to the 
the, the, the realization that I was going to die. What? Uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die. <laughs> and and when I die, there's not going to be any evidence that I ever existed. Wow. But if I could be in show business, if I could be an actor, long after I'm dead, I'll still, there's still, I'll still be uh, there on television. And uh, that's why. You remember having that actor. thought when you were a little kid? Oh, really? it, it scared the daylights out of me. Absolutely. And so who were your role models? Like when you were a kid and you wanted to be an actor, who did you want to be like? Who did you want to model yourself after? Who were your heroes? Uh, I think you know, Montgomery Clift comes mm. to mind. Mm. Um, I, I love Cary Grant. I love uh, Lou Costello, Harpo mm-hmm. uh, Mark. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, people like uh, Spencer Tracy and Donald Pleasant and mm. Peter Sellers and, um, you know, the ability, uh, the ability to, to, to change, uh, make people laugh, mm-hmm. make people think. I like that. Something which, which you're extremely adept at. You, you do two things brilliantly. Well, you do many things brilliantly, because now when I think about it, Memento is very serious. But you, you have an, an uncanny ability to make people laugh, and you also can be scary as fuck. And, um, but, um, but then I've seen you tempered and, and, and emotional as well. You, you really... Okay, so, so you're a little kid. You want to be an actor. How do you go back? Are you in plays when you're in school when you're a little kid? How does it start for you? No, no, I... You know, it was a, it was a, it was like a dark secret. I didn't want anybody to, you know, I was ashamed to talk about it, and I huh. didn't think I was entitled to it. Uh, um, but I, you know, it was in high school, the senior class play. I, I did the senior class play, mm-hmm. and uh, and and a couple of my teachers uh, uh, and my stepdad, they all said, you know, you have an aptitude for this because, you know, I was. I was a bullshit artist my whole life. I've been, you know, lying, <laughs> lying myself out of, out of jam, you know, and the ability to convince people that I was telling the truth. I mean, everybody <laughs> lies. Mm-hmm. And I thought um, I could, uh, you know, I could make a living doing this. <laughs> so, okay. So, so how did it start? What What was your first, uh, your first foot well, in I, the play, the play. Uh, you know, after the after the senior class play, uh-huh. uh, I I went. My dad uh, knew somebody that knew an actor, and so we went into the city, and I met this guy as an actor, and mm-hmm. and he uh, he kind of was my first mentor, uh, and uh, Nico Hartos, uh, and. Uh, he told me about HB Studios, and so I started studying mm-hmm. acting with Herbert Berghoff. Mm-hmm. And then, after a couple of years, I, uh, I I I found Montgomery Clift uh, coach Mira Rostova. Wow! And I studied with her for a little bit, but I I I, I kind of it didn't it wasn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found the guy that I really liked was a guy named Bobby Lewis, who mm-hmm. actually uh, was Herbert Berghoff's teacher, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he and he and Ilya Kazan and Cheryl 
Crawford started the Actors Studio. Wow. So I studied with Bobby Lewis for several years. Wow. And then I found a guy named John Lenn, who I liked very much, and, and, and he coached me uh, on a lot of stuff in the early part of my career, you know, uh, uh, into my uh, late 20s. Uh, and, uh, and by then I started getting work and, uh, how did, how you did, know. Did, the, did Were you studying... Did you start studying after you started working, or did you start studying before you started working? I studied throughout the, you know, I studied that's, that's what I'm hearing. Um, for when, about 15 years. I, that's so fantastical. And, and, and with, who you, with whom you studied, oh my gosh. Herbert Bergdorf's teacher, that's, that's crazy to me. What was your first gig? How did that happen, your first professional gig? Uh... It was a equity waiver summer stock, and uh, I was uh, I was like an apprentice, mm-hmm. uh, and I would get to be in the first play, and they were paying us ten dollars a week, and I and it cost me nine dollars for food <laughs> and housing, so I was I was making a dollar a week. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, but you know you could, you could you could do a lot on a dollar in those days. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you know, I it, it was a it, it was a long, arduous, uh, uh, exciting. Um, you know, the possibility. And I remember thinking, I remember saying, "Well, I was going to give myself ten years. If I if I wasn't if I didn't make if I couldn't make a living after ten years, mm-hmm. well, then I, I'm going to have to find something else to do." But I, uh, you know, I started making a living. I, you know, started at 18 and so 26 years old, I, I started making a living. And when you were making a living, this was, you were doing some TV back then, right? Uh, I, I, moved, I moved to New York. I moved from New York to Los Angeles in 1977. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, you know, the first, first series of things that I did were a TV show uh, pilot you know, like three episodes with mm-hmm. John Biner, and then I did uh, I did a half hour with Rob Reiner. Wow! After he left All in the Family, wow! And that was and that and that was Columbia mm-hmm. TV, and and then they cast me in the remake of From Here to Eternity. Uh, I played the Frank Sinatra role, Maggio. Yeah, I, uh, wow! I have to go back and find that. I have to see if that's available. I'm, I'm looking at that on your IMDb. I'm like, wow! I want to see that. That must have been amazing. It was really a lot of fun uh, for me. I got, you know, I was working with uh, Natalie Wood and oh. William Devane and wow. uh, Will Sampson and Peter Boyle and oh, Steve Railsback <gasps> and Basinger. <gasps> I uh, have to find Buzz, that. Buzz Kulik directed that. Wow. And, uh, that was a uh, that was a great thing. Wow, a really great jo- thing for me. Joey, did that change your life? Did your life start to change there? I mean, that isn't that is the most unbelievable cast. There's not one person you didn't men- that you mentioned that isn't sort of iconic. Yeah, um, I I remember thinking, well, you know, I'm in the game now. Mm-hmm. I'm off the bench. Yeah. But then after I did that, I didn't work for 13 months, and. Uh, and I, 
I was, you know, the money ran out. Mm. It turned out that I I owed back taxes, and Mm. I actually borrowed $6,000 to pay my my federal taxes uh, from Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood. Uh, They lent me the money. Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I was incredibly fortunate, and I think people in show business, uh, have you know that have that? I think most of us who are lucky enough to 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 be able to have some have success mm-hmm. have people in their lives that remembered their own personal struggles. Like mm-hmm. in New York, uh, it, I, it was Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson. They were the first people, uh, like really show business people, uh, that. Um, opened the door for me and let, you know, allowed me to be a part of their family. I, I was going to acting school with their daughter, Roberta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm still close with the kids with Peter, you know, and Catherine and Roberta. I mean, we've had a, a 50 year friendship. Wow. Uh, I, you know, and I talked to Robert Wagner. He called me up out of the blue a, a couple of months ago on his 87th birthday Aww. to say hello. I mean, so I really cherish uh, that, those friendships. That is a beautiful story. I I, I love that. Um, wow, that that's lovely. And have have you? I'm guessing the answer to, is yes to this. Have you been that person for people in your life that are that are coming up? Nah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I don't care if it's true. I like the answer. Okay, so so you do this. I, I have to find that that from here to eternity. That's got to be findable somewhere. That sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to find to tracking that down. So from there, like you, you did something else. But the next thing that I know where I first became aware of you was the Idol Maker, which was life changing for me in so many ways. The Idol Maker. Okay, so the Idol Maker, I think, was in fact the first. You know that that next job. Maybe mm-hmm. I did a TV show. Yeah, you did uh, something called Ice Ice or something. I don't know. I shied. Yeah, I shied. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I did a I guest start on I shied, and uh, um, you know, I I was working. I went back to weighing tables at Mateo's. Uh, wow. Which was a you know a family friend from Hoboken, Maddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on Westwood Boulevard, and. Uh, and he gave me he gave me a job as a waiter, uh, but because it was a an industry uh, haunt, mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, were uncomfortable because eternity had come out and yeah. got some heat, and so people were some semi uncomfortable having me come to their, you know, <laughs> being their waiter. And uh, and then a couple of casting directors said something, you know, about it. And so my agent at the time mm-hmm. um, uh, also lent me $6,000. No. So I didn't have to work there until I get my next job. Wow. So, did you, so how was it for you uh, having to go back to waiting tables after having this incredible experience working with Peter Boyle and Natalie Wood and all these people. What was it that? Was, uh, you know, it was, it, it was what you did back in, you yeah. know, 
in New York, it, it wasn't a big deal. Right. You know, it, it, in between jobs, you had to pay the rent. And, right. And, uh, you know, I remember I, I used to work for Patrick O'Neill and Michael O'Neill uh, at a restaurant in, in the city called O'Neill's Balloon. Oh, yeah. And I remember Michael Moriarty, uh-huh. uh, you know, having done bang the drum slowly, and then he was he came back to work at, at the balloon. Oh, my so, God. So, you, you know, that's what actors did. Right, right. Well, it's exactly. nice. Exactly. When I was a kid, you could always, the, the, the good news was that you could always get a job as a waiter. Right. Now, those jobs are coveted. You know, I don't know how kids do it today. I don't know how people survive. Uh, you know, it, the income inequality that, that is permeating the country mm-hmm. and is a microcosm of what's happening in my industry mm-hmm. where nobody's, nobody's honoring, uh, you know, actors don't get paid, mm-hmm. only, only the movie stars. Right. And, uh, and that's the business model. And, uh, you know, and good actors are a dime a dozen. So it's somebody else. They don't, they don't need you. You just, you know, salad dressing and I, and I don't think audiences in fact I I know audiences don't understand the nature of of the craft any longer mm. you know they they they, 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 don't, they don't notice um, the smoke in the mirrors and um, they don't see the difference between what an actor does or what, or what a reality actor does and right. it's all you know, the emphasis now is on celebrity and not on craft. Absolutely. When our biggest stars are the Kardashian, something is scarily wrong. Yikes. Well, you know, it's it's it, 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 it's the reason why the country is is um, is sick. You know, it's like you mentioned mental illness earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like like the, you know, mental illness is a byproduct of an unhappy. You know, uh, you know, uh, unhappy life, uh, a traumatic, some kind of traumatic experience, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was in my case. But, but I think, uh, I think, what's happening today is that everybody is so anxious mm-hmm. and nervous mm-hmm. and agitated mm-hmm. and angry mm-hmm. uh, and want someone to blame. You know, somebody's got to get blamed. You know, some guy shoots somebody. Well, it's so and so's fault. It's mm-hmm. not the guy that pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's nasty and it's divided, and uh, it, 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 it's like the culture of baseball or, or, or football. You know, who you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. And America is not. A, it's not a. It's not a baseball game or a football team. It's you know, where where we're one country. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there there shouldn't be left or right or north and south. Mm. We were just talking about that earlier, Louise and I. Um, you brought up oh, since you brought it up, let's go there. Um, so you're having this the beginning of success. You're going back your waiting tables. I would imagine all of that changed. Um, if not before, absolutely with risky business, Guido the killer pimp. Oh my God! I I, I have to think your career changed at that point. D- d- and there was no more waiting tables. Yeah. 
yeah. Uh, let me think. Uh, the last time I weighed the tables was was Mateo's. Okay. So, so it, um, so I, I guess I was like twenty eight or twenty nine, mm-hmm. twenty eight, when I was able to to make a living. That that uh, I I supported my family and made a living from being an actor mm-hmm. over the last uh, 35 years. Pretty, pretty fantastical. And pretty... Yeah, un- and that's, a, that's, that's, you know, that's what I always wanted to do. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, I remember the, my my agent saying, I, you know, my, I guess it was the first agent, you know, you, you know, that the goal should be that you make a living at it and anything over that is gravy. Mm. Did 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 you? I mean, it looks like uh, I'm just looking at the numbers on the IMDb and looking at like how many gigs you had in each year and stuff. It looks like you were consistently working your entire career, from what I'm looking here. Um, job after job after job after job. Were there ever times when you? Let's not talk about present times because this is a whole new world we're living in now. But were there ever times when? You didn't know where the next job was going to. Was were there any lapses? Because it doesn't look like there were. Oh, there's always lapses. There's always lapses. I mean, the best, you know, in the best year mm-hmm. that I ever had, I had, you know, I, I had three, four, five months off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what I like to say is that I've been semi-retired since I'm 18 years old. <laughs> How does that work on your psyche, Joey? I mean, it, we, you're having like these great successes, and then you're having these periods off. Did it work on you? Did you did you have sleepless nights? Did you get worried? Did you think I'll never work again, or did you did you have did you always have confidence that you'd work again? How, how did it work for you? I was it was un, it was always uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and. I always felt like the, the last job would be the last job, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was always looking for the next job. Right. Uh, I I'm not doing you know I don't do that anymore. I mean, uh, you know, at at, uh, at my age now, I I've gotten. You know, I'm somewhat. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, I, I don't have the hustle in me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I, I just don't. Uh, I go with the flow, kind of, and uh, every once in a while, I'll call the agent. I I, I don't think I. You know, it's it's very rare that I speak to my agents on the phone. Everything is tech now and right and emailing and uh, uh, but I you know I kind of like kind of like I can't come up with the word um, resigned I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm... it's not resigned it's uh, fatalistic Hmm. Okay. You know, it's, what's going to happen is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, 
I just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. So when you did give a shit, you were doing some pretty outrageous. I mean, I know highlights for me, like Midnight Run and, and Memento and The Sopranos. I mean, what, what what highlights for you? What what were like moments in your life that you look back on and you go, holy shit, I can't believe I got to do that, which it sounds like From Here to Eternity was one of them because that sounds like an incredible experience. And I imagine, I can only imagine The Sopranos had to be that for you. What was The Sopranos like for you? How did you get that? And, and what, did, what, what was that experience like, being in that environment with all of that fucking talent? What, what was that like for you? You know, I, I, I'm not trying to be difficult or <laughs> it's not false modesty. Okay. Uh, but it's you know it's it's a working environment mm-hmm. that it, I you know I remember I remember you know enjoying myself and working you know with, with all of these jobs and mm-hmm. the job is you know I, one of the most magical jobs I had was when I worked on the Goonies. Wow! Because because. Uh, you know, everything was practical sets, so they made they made the pirate ship, and it was a it was a real pirate ship and mm-hmm. water. You know, at mm-hmm. stage sixteen at Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. uh, they don't you know you don't work that way anymore. Everything's a blue screen, and it's all right. matted in. And right, um, and and so when I when I look back, you know, and I don't look back that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not my nature. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't get. You know, it's like I don't. I don't get off on it. I don't. You know, I don't get off on what I. I get off on what I do when I'm doing it. Right. You know, I, I get. I get off on. You know, in between action and cut. <laughs> you know, and trying and trying to create the. You know the the be the logical behavior, according to the given circumstances. You know, it's like. You know, and, and building these this a character and these little pieces, these little bits that you get, you know, right. that then they all put it all together and they make a movie, you know. But uh, what I remember, the, the friends that I made mm-hmm. and the places that I got to see mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's not, it's not a magical thing. It's, you know, it's, for me, it was never... Some kind of artistic endeavor, you know. It was like, uh, you know, being a part of a puzzle, and uh, and and trying to be good enough, you know, or equal to the volume of of talent that I was surrounded by. At what point did you not have to audition anymore? Would they just call you for a part? What was, oh, when was the first God. time that you know, happened? It was, it was, uh, I auditioned for Risky Business. Uh, did it surprise you? I, did it surprise, did that film surprise Empire you? Empire of the Sun, you know, yeah. Spielberg never auditioned me. Donner didn't audition me. Cool. Uh, David Chase didn't, you know, mm-hmm. at most, uh, after a while, 
they, they put me on tape for a, a pilot this season and God, I was rushy. Hmm. You know, it was like, holy shit, it's a whole different, you know, it's like there's a whole different medium. Yeah. Auditioning has got nothing to do with acting. Right. Yeah. How was, how was the Sense8 experience for you? That was great. You know, you know, be able to work uh, with the Wachowskis again. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, you know, I, I worked, I, I've done three projects with the Wachowskis, and I, and I worked with Chris Nolan. And, you know, I'm always so, so um, insignificant compared to, what's going on in their minds and the, you know, the visual aspect of, of, uh, of what they're creating hmm. is so much bigger than me. And, and so when, in doing sense eight, mm-hmm. you'd have to do it. You know, you, you do the same scene three different ways because in some respects, you know, I, I'd be acting with three different characters who, who were virtually the same person. Wow. Uh, once it got cut together, you know, it's like, you know, I'm working with my son, uh-huh. uh, the actor Brian Smith, but then I'm doing the same scene with the younger version of my son. And then I'm doing the scene again with a sense, you know, with a sensorian mm-hmm. that's in in my son's place. So it's fascinating. Wow, was it was that fun to do? Was that challenging in, in a in a good it's way? Always, they're always fun. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you know, being an you know being an actor in a show business is like. You know, it's it's it, of course it's fun. It's, mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know what's not fun is you know driving a cab at twelve hours a day, or yeah. you know uh, working in a restaurant, or uh, you, you know uh, digging a hole. Uh, and that's not fun. That's mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, being in show business, if, if, you know, making a living doing this shit, you know, it, it's always fun. Even even when the material sucks. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, how was it to win an Emmy award? How, how did that feel? Uh, like it wasn't enough. Oh wow! Wow. Uh, what I, does that I mean? Thought, I thought. I thought. Gee. You know, I I think, in my case anyway, mm-hmm. but I think in most people's cases is, is people people want to be in show business or celebrities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They want to be famous. You know, because they want money or they want to get laid mm-hmm. uh, or they got something to prove. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll prove to them that I'm not a piece of shit. Right. You know, wait till I get mine. You know, um, and uh, so you're filling you're filling an empty hole mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, it's never enough. You know, uh, what what was driving you, Joey? Were you driven by I'll show you? Were you driven? What, what was driving you? I didn't want to be poor, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I was driven by, uh, the, the, yeah, that I was going to prove to everybody that I wasn't stupid, mm-hmm. and that I wasn't scared, and that I wasn't um, a coward. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why I played tough guys so well is all the times as a kid that I I got beat up and bullied, you know, smacked around. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he humiliated as a, as a as a little boy. Wow. Well, that's uh, that makes... you know, when you when you don't when you don't fight back because mm-hmm. you're afraid they're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, but then you play it, and afterwards you play it over in your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think that, that that's uh, that's one of the reasons why I uh, I I got to be I got to get even with all of those those sick bastards that you know persecuted me as a as a, a young boy, a young chubby boy in the in in, in, the, in the, on the streets of Hoboken. Joey, did you have any moment? Have you had any moments as an adult where you've come to face, face to face with any of those, with any of the people from your past that, that, tormented you? No, no. I, I only put them in in the movies I do. <laughs> but but there but I imagine there is that sense of satisfaction because you know that they know where you ended up, right? No, I never thought that. (laughs) You know, I I, I never thought, you know, these weren't people. I mean, this was like random, you know, two guys beat me up in a, Mm -hmm. in the, in the boys room when Mm -hmm. I, when I was in the second grade, Mm -mm -mm. Uh, you know, uh, but it was just, it was enough of a trauma. It wasn't about them. It was about me, Mm -hmm. Mm you know, um, and, uh, And I want, you know, and I wanted, I wanted to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, 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 I got, I got a lot of the stuff that I wanted, mm-hmm. but it was never enough. And mm-hmm. I, and I think, I think that's, uh, you know, that's one of the tragedies of, of uh, what happens in Hollywood, is that so many people wind up giving it back. You know, you look at all of the great artists. I actually talk about this in my second book, uh, Asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this particular unexplicable, uh, you know, it's, a, it's inexplicable mm-hmm. the quality that stars have. Mm-hmm. James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery mm-hmm. Cliff, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, um, uh, Marlon Brando, um, um it, that that we as an audience we identify through them and 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 and, and emulate mm-hmm. want to be like them mm-hmm. want to fall in love with them mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, and uh, and so many of them um, their flames burn out really really. Uh, you know, in, in tragic ways. Mm-hmm. What what motivated you to to start writing, Joey? Well, your first book, Who's Sorry Now? What 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 made you make what what caught what? I used to tell stories. I I, I would tell all these stories about my mom mm-hmm. um, at you know dinner parties and and people either they were highly entertaining and they were meant to um, entertain and make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people would say, "Oh my God, you got to write this shit down. You got to write mm-hmm. this shit down." Mm-hmm. And uh, and then somebody, so I uh, I knew a guy, and he had a he had a he was married to a woman who was a, a book agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, by then, I I I met a guy, um, and we had written a screenplay. You know, based on my 
memory as a young boy. And uh, he read that screenplay because he knew my mom, this guy. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to his wife. And she said, this is a book. We can sell this. And so, you know, we sold it to Dutton Books. And and then uh, and then you had a bestseller. I partnered up with D- David Evanier on that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a guy named Eddie Mordahovitz. Uh, and, and, you know, be, being somebody who was dyslexic, and that was the other thing is I I didn't learn how to read until I was out of high school because I needed to learn how to read if I wanted to be an actor. Wow! And so I I was uh, I was unco- I was self conscious about about being stupid. I, I always felt you know, that I was stupid, and, and I had lots of teachers that confirmed that. And so, uh, how did you learn how to read, Joey? How, as a dyslexic, I hired I hired a I hired a, a third grade uh, elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. and he ha- had me read a book, and he and he um, he questioned me uh, phonetically. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he, he said, "Tell me about the book," and he wanted to try to figure out how my well, you know my comprehension and mm-hmm. and uh, and eventually uh, he said, "You know, you just never read. You you have the." reading level of the third grader because you've never read mm-hmm. and uh so you've got to read everything you can get your hands on mm-hmm. street signs bus signs whatever you see read it mm-hmm. and break it out phonetically and start reading books about things that you're interested in mm-hmm. so i you know the, the next book i read first book i ever read was soul on ice by eldridge cleaver I and then i read the Velocity papers <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and then i read uh, the Godfather, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, and again, I, I I always I would always find people that wanted to help me. I had a mm-hmm. I had a speech therapist at HD Studio, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Rado, and he gave me a book uh, on how to uh, build your vocabulary by studying six words a week or mm-hmm. a month, and. Uh, you know, just these little random acts of kindness hmm. encouraged me to, to continue on and to keep at it. And so, Joey, so let's talk about the second book, So Asylum. How, when did you realize that you suffered from depression and how did that all start for you? And then what what was the impetus for you to share that story, which... Louise and I were just talking about it before you joined us about what a brave, you know, celebrities will come out and they say they have cancer, they have MS, they have this. Very few celebrities come out and admit to having mental illness to depression. That is very, very rare. So what, what, what? Well, that's not, that's not true today, but that, uh, you know, I guess it was more and more people are talking about it because more and more people see the benefits of, of sharing it because everybody knows that most people are going through some degree of, emotional unrest but that's and, very uh, recent that's 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 post your writing your but you're one of the first for sure uh i um i i finished working on the sopranos and my friend eddie who i'd written uh who's sorry now with mm-hmm. um uh, had a script this guy joe greco about um it was a story about a a, a son and uh, and his father dealing with 
mental illness uh, diagnosis in the family. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know it's called, it was called Canvas, and it was about what happens to a family when mental illness is diagnosed. Mm-hmm. How, does it, how does the illness affect the family members? Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, I was uh, first-time director, and I was also, uh, because I was working with first-time director, I, I wanted to have some control as a producer. So I, I um, told them that they that I'd have to be a producer on it too. Mm-hmm. And so the producers were okay with that. And I was kind of more creative producer. Mm-hmm. And so I I helped with casting and I got Marcia K. Harden uh, to play my wife, mm-hmm. who was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so while we're doing this film, Marcia's character it, 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 her behavior is reminding me of someone. It turns out, like, it, it dawns on me one day, like, this is my mother. Mm-hmm. And I never thought my mother was crazy. I just thought she was Italian American. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I thought I thought being mentally ill was, didn't happen a lot of it, it was a minority. But while we're making this film, more people are asking me, crew members asking me about. Uh, the, the the Baker Act scene and when are we shooting it? And so one day at lunch, it was a small unit, about 60, 70 people, mm-hmm. and I and I said, hey, who you know who in this room has someone or has had gone through some kind of mental uh, breakdown? And about you know 70 or 80 percent of the people in the room raised their hand. Wow! And uh, so I was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. After finishing. I was I was tasked with the idea that I always thought my mother was just willful and didn't want to change. And now I was I was confronted with the idea that perhaps she she had a you know a disease mm-hmm. it was a mental disease and and that it wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and while we were shooting the film, a friend of mine had committed suicide. And I remember thinking for the first time that I wasn't upset and that, that it was a way out. And I was talking to my my regular MD and you know, pretty much had gotten most of the things that I wanted. And why did I, why did I feel like, a, you know, numb? Why did I feel like I wanted to die? Hmm. And... Uh, so I talked to this doctor about it, and he recommended I, I talked to a psychiatrist. And, mm-hmm. you know, long story short and, and a lot of hard work later, mm-hmm. you know, I I came to this um, conclusion that it, it wasn't my fault. I always thought that, that my... My moods were uh, were behavioral choices that I, you know, that I, you know, why couldn't I snap out of it? Mm-hmm. And so when I was told that it was, you know, brain chemistry and mm-hmm. uh, that it had a name and uh, and I wasn't weak, and I uh, I became an advocate mm-hmm. uh, in promoting. Um, the help that was available, and also the fact that you know, why is it that a brain? Why is it that the brain doesn't have the same constitutional parity as the liver or the heart or the kidney? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
why is it that it's quantified by limitations if you get a diagnosis of of, of something? You know, mm-hmm. why doesn't the insurance companies uh, pay for that? Mm-hmm. Why why will they pay for your gallbladder to be removed mm-hmm. and only you know give you um, forty days in a hospital if uh, if you're schizophrenic? Mm-hmm. So um, I I decided to make a movie, a documentary. I made a documentary about the bigotry and discrimination that shrouds mental disease. Mm-hmm. And and then that led to, you know, continuation of, of, of writing the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how that happened. And so, so is that under control for you now? Are you, are you, do you have the right cocktail and is that something that's, or is it something that you still contend with, deal with? Well, you know, it's like, it's like having a mole on your ass. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, they cut the mole off. There's, there's going to be a scar. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, I don't. I actually, I don't take medication for. Uh, I don't take mood stabilizers any longer, mm-hmm. and I exercise a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, I must admit also that I was, I was quite surprised that I was so numb but i was also at the time that i was most numb i was addicted to painkillers mm-hmm. um you know opioid painkillers and uh and so when i got the help and got off of those mm-hmm. i was depressed a lot less mm-hmm. right you were self-medicating but it was having the opposite effect i you know it's like Everybody's medicating. Mm. I, I, I have a really smart doctor, and he said, "You walk down the street, and you see, you, you know, what forty-five or fifty percent of Americans are obese. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're eating their feelings away. Mm-hmm. Then you've got alcoholism. Then you've got drug addiction. Then you've got workaholism. And mm-hmm. you've got somebody in the White House right now mm-hmm. who, you know, will do anything." To, you know, maintain power, mm-hmm. and 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 everybody. I think this whole country is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all under the influence of something, and we're all trying to find external ways uh, to avoid the psychic pain, mm-hmm. which is an internal issue. And so, you got to ch- you got to in order to. Heal yourself. It has to come from within. You know, it's like medication, meditation, or masturbation. It's like, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Well, meditation, I think less so. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm terrible at it. I try every day, and I rarely succeed. But, but I think there is a cumulative effect from for people that meditate every day and have a. a, a spiritual practice i i have a spiritual practice but it, my meditation's weak but i do think there's yoga an... yoga yoga helps me a lot mm-hmm. and you know and jogging when i was a kid i discovered jogging in the 10th grade mm-hmm. and i ran for the next 35 years wow and it wasn't until i fell off i was remodeling a house in santa monica and i fell off the roof mm-hmm. and i i really blew my back out and i couldn't run any longer mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, it was, you know, middle, middle 90s when, when 
in the you know up until that time this feeling would come over me mm-hmm. and I would throw on my sneakers and I'd go for a run mm-hmm. and that feeling would go away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so now when that feeling you know, comes over me, I, I throw on my sneakers and I go for a long walk. Yes. That's what I uh, do too. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that's meditation and movement. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I listen to Deepak Chopra in my ears while I'm walking. That's, that's my walking meditation. Um, yeah. So, so have you, do you, do you feel that you're in a different place with it, that you're filling the hole with more meaningful things and are in a different place in your life and in a greater, except do you suffer less from, from depression? Does that, does that not, does that be? Yeah, not I mean, you? It, 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 you suffer less. I mean, I, it, I have good days and bad days. Mm-hmm. Everybody does, of course. That's yeah. Everybody does. There is no magic bullet, you know. There is no. There is that shit is all in the minds of advertising executives, uh, you know. And, and it's 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 the it's the curse of our culture mm-hmm. that we turn on a TV set, and and they're selling us all of this malarkey about how we can have a better life, mm-hmm. whether it was you know. You know, put me behind the, you know, the steering wheel of a Chevrolet in the '60s, mm-hmm. or um, whatever. I mean, I, I saw a commercial the other day where they've got a they've got a, a new com, a new drug for constipation. Mm-hmm. So, if you're an opioid junkie and you can't take a shit, well, that's okay. <laughs> now you can take this medicine, <laughs> and you can still take your heroin and still. <laughs> You know, shit three times a day, but you you know your heart might stop, and you you, you know you, you you might have a brain hemorrhage. So, you know, the shit that can happen to you is always three times as long as the commercial, right? Right, right. Commercial is always like two or three seconds. The rest, twenty-seven seconds, is all the stuff that that's going to happen to you if you take it. <laughs> Absolutely, um, that's hysterical. Um, so Joey, so is there anything that you have yet to accomplish in your creative life that you, that, that you'd still, that you still dream of, or, or have you pretty much done everything you've wanted to do? I'd really like to bang Emma Stone. (laughs) Don't say that in front of your daughter. She's like, your. she's, what is she like? 26? I got one's 26. I got one's 30. I got one's 19. (laughs) But Emma Stone, she's but I but I get it because I'd like to bang Ryan Gosling, so I totally get it. You know, my wife, my wife Nancy is, is you know Emma Stone's a Nancy Shepard type. Ah, you know, my wife's a beautiful redhead. Yes, you know, and Emma, Emma Stone's a young Nancy Shepard. So very just nice. Wanna... Well, that's a good. So and so okay. So that's something you'd still like ahead of you, do, Joey. Do you have any uh, guilty pleasures? Is there anything that you indulge in eating, watching, doing that you like? Have like any shame around? You're like, I can't believe I'm into this. Is there anything like that in your life? No, I'm not ashamed. I I, I have a lot of pleasures, but I'm not guilty about any of them. I love that. Okay, so what are some of your pleasures? Your non guilty pleasures. Uh. uh I, I love. Uh, I like watching Turner Classic movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
I love, I love, I, I love, love, love Orange is the New Black. I just saw the new <gasps> season. I haven't, I, I haven't watched the, it yet. I can't wait. Uh, don't tell me. Spoiler alert. Don't tell me. I'm, I'm. I just think that writer is, you know, the the, the writing staff and the acting. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Um, um, you know, and and it's it, it, you know the metaphors that she used. Like last year was you saw last season, right? I did. Yeah, so last season was like a microcosm of of uh, of what's happening politically in America. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in prison, the minority was the white guy, right? right. The white person was the minority. The majority mm-hmm. ruled was was the Spanish, right? Uh, and and this year the theme is the inmates running the prison. Ah. You know the old joke: the inmates are running the prison. Yes. All right. Don't so tell me anything thing. else. I'm like, I, I'm gonna have, I'm, 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 I'm in at the end of Bloodline, so I have to finish Bloodline and the and the man in the high castle before well, I can. Start. Well, you know, the, the other thing about these shows is like, it's really difficult to outdo yourself season after season, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I use it's like the Godfather metaphor, mm-hmm. where Godfather Two was like brilliant. Mm-hmm. Very rare when they make a sec when they make the yes. sequel that it's as good as the first, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, and, and I and I think that that's true with Bloodline. I, I was disappointed with the second season of Bloodline. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I've been, you know, disappointed, been hit and miss with the uh, House of Cards. Uh, but with this orange is the new black, I mean it's like they surpassed themselves every Time. There was one it, season of it, Orange is the New Black I didn't like as much, and I can't remember if it was two or three. There was one season that last season I liked again. There was one season where I suffered through a little bit. I was I wasn't quite. It was a little. The storylines were a little far out for me, and I wasn't as invested. I thought Piper was like annoying me. I don't know. There was. I think it was the second season I wasn't quite as enamored with. But um, but then it. it well, I'm, we, uh, I'm over the moon. Last year and this year. Uh, you know, it's, my it's wife pr- and I yeah. watched it over the weekend last weekend, yeah. and you know, we were just hysterical, laughing, and oh. we were sobbing. It was just last so season. Last season, good. actually, the ending was so destroyed me so much that. Um, when I think about it, I start to cry, which I'm not going to do a spoiler for anyone out there who hasn't watched uh, last season of Orange is the New Black. But uh, they, I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to worry about that. I think everybody's seen it. Yeah. Well, that 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 death just killed me last year, and um, so I'm looking forward to to jumping in and not getting killed. Do you have speaking of killing, have you did you watch the fall, the, the series? The Fall? It's called The Fall. It's on Netflix. It's uh, Gillian Anderson oh. and Jamie Jordan. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say I've binged a lot of shows in the last year, and that is the greatest binging show, other than Breaking Bad, which was the greatest binging mm-hmm. show I've ever seen. Uh, the you know, fa- I, don't like, I don't like the binge because you can't maintain. You, you, you lose big chunks of the shows. What do you mean? You know, it's like, well, you know, I don't like, I forget, I forget big chunks of what I see. Oh, you don't oh. digest it. I, I see what you're saying. I don't digest it. It right. just goes through me. 
Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. But then, uh, you know, like literally with Breaking Bad, I, I was very late to the party. The, the last episode had aired, and when I started from episode one, I literally like didn't get out of bed for like seven days. I like watched the, all the seasons, the whole thing. I just and then I and then I was in. Well, you know, morning. it's like it's like Netflix. They you know they market it. You know, they gave it a name. Mm-hmm. So now you know it's like you're not the cool kid on the block if you're not binging. If you're not big, I mean, it's like advertising is the devil <laughs> advertising they tell us what to do how mm. to think mm. how to consume and it's going to destroy us and that's why we have this full reality actor pretending to be this character that mark burnett created on that reality show you know what, 10 years ago yeah i yeah and well, the other th- the th- the thing about it that that horrifies me is that we're not living. I'm not living life nearly as much anymore. I'm on screen so much of the day and so much of the time and so yeah, much of life my is life. Overrated though, isn't it? <laughs> I, b- I binge life. <laughs> okay, on that, that's a perfect place to uh, to segue to. Joey, thank you so much for doing this. I absolutely adore you. This was really um, very thought-provoking and, and deep and meaningful, and um, I'm, I'm really grateful to you. And, and I, love, I love the fact that you are this wonderful person, and I get to have you in my life a little bit. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vicky, and, and uh, good luck, uh, ladies, with, with your show, and, and thank you for even asking me. It was absolutely my, my pleasure. Thank you, Joey. Love you. Take care, Joey. See you later. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Wow, Weezy. I got to tell you, you know, I, you know, I say this all the time, one of my favorite. That was like maybe the deepest I think we've ever gone. Yeah, that was really, really good. I mean, that was like really talking about important shit. It mm-hmm. was it was about show, but show business was there. But it was so much more about humanity. And, and um, you know, when I see Joey on in, in on the screen, you know, you don't think Guido the killer pimp is going to be the guy you're going to have the heavy conversation you with. You just don't know. You just don't know. Uh, for me, the takeaway with Joey, I think, I just love, this is a guy who was dyslexic, suffered clinical depression, didn't read, got out of high school, didn't read, s- became an a- learned how to read so that he could be an actor, lived his life, his childhood dream, realized it, continues to realize it um i don't believe that he's not that person in people's lives i would be willing to bet and i know just by the foundation that he started uh, you're kidding me too the nonprofit he started for people with mental illness um that i know he's giving back i'm sure he has he just doesn't speak about it because he's a he humble guy wants to give yeah so my takeaway is that he's very zen mm-hmm. and it it made me feel like in the 70s, there were, the, the, there were these books called like Inner Tennis, mm-hmm. and the whole philosophy was don't think, do, mm-hmm. because your mind will get in the way, mm-hmm. especially if you've done the training and you know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So it felt like maybe he he spent a lot of his time really overthinking, mm-hmm. and he's taught himself to just do, because mm-hmm. he knows he's good. Yeah, and the Zen is to go when when he starts to feel these feelings, he put on his sneakers and he jogged. And now that he can't jog, he puts on the sneakers and he walks. I relate to that so much. That's that's my daily practice as well. Um, 
and the fact that he doesn't have to do the medication that he's exactly that he he's done the he's done the work and he's and it is a lot of work to get to the place that he is today and to not give a shit anymore to like be at the place where yeah well if i don't get it i don't get it and whatever happens and he's also probably at a place financially where because of all the his huge body of work he's able to not give a shit so much um, well, he may have even noticed a pattern that the amount of worrying that he does uh, has no impact on whether or not he gets exactly. He gets the well, that's certainly the uh, certainly the lesson, and and he yeah, I I I say that Joey's probably at that place, you know, and also his preparedness. Uh, I'm so res- I'm so res- I'm so in awe. Um, of the training that he did, and and how well he well he liked Montgomery Cliff, so he's going to find Montgomery Cliff's teacher, and then Herbert Bergdorf was a, an idol, so he's going to find his teacher, and how he just continued to amass more and more skill mm-hmm. and craft, and and also how he pointed out the difference between celebrity and talent and craft, mm-hmm. and how much he values craft, and that shows in his work and the you know the value of his work. The he he's very available, very available to life, learning, being, doing. Yeah, yeah, and very aware of the importance of living life, and and not getting caught up in the binge and letting that overwhelm, and and remembering what's important, and sitting down and making sausage and peppers for his daughter. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. This is a man he can make a phone call and the sausage and peppers appear. It sounds delicious. It does, and I'm going to go have something like that right now. <laughs> Wheezy, thank you so much for uh, another amazing. Um, thank you for taking me on the journey. My pleasure, and uh, all of you come along with us. Us on the road taken. I I didn't mention. So we're going to be moving to Zina TV. On we'll be going from live. Our show's first dropping on Tuesdays. They'll be we'll be live on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, you'll be able to find us on Zina TV. You'll be able to find us on Facebook Live on my personal page, Vicki Abelson. But for now, you can go binge the archives on no binging. Yeah. <laughs> Digest. <laughs> Digesting the archives on there, thank you, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, we're there. Uh, just look for The Road Taken, Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. And uh, so until next time, have a wonderful week. Enjoy every moment. Savor it um, if you can. And um, love each other a lot. Take care.